Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 7, 1 through 24. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, Then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, How is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses won't be broken, Are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Candeo began in the fall of 2013, and my family moved here in the spring of 2014. And um, I didn't know anything about the Cedar Valley, about this area. I knew that you and I was in Cedar Falls, and that's it. And I, did, I knew nothing about Waterloo. And so I was surprised to find out when I moved here that John Deere was here. I don't know where I thought John Deere was. Uh, I didn't think it was here, but it is here. So that's great. Now, full disclosure, I know nothing about farming. I know nothing about farm equipment. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I'm amazed by it, but I don't understand it. Okay, so like you farmers are absolutely more manly than I am and you engineers are way smarter, okay? So like just right off the bat, that's true. And so over the last, you know, several years of being here, I, I learned that, and you, you, all of you probably know this, John Deere makes more than tractors. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Like I, they make machines that, uh, that I didn't know exist to do things that I didn't know happened. 
like on this earth, okay? You know, so I went to the John Deere website over the weekend and as I, even after reading the description of many of these machines, I still don't know what it does. Like no clue, okay? So if you throw me the keys to these machines, like I'm not gonna know what it does. I'm not gonna know why it exists. I'm not gonna know how to use it, how to turn it on, anything like that. Like all I'm gonna know is that it's green. That's all I'm gonna know. And so you absolutely don't want me in the quality control department of, of John Deere. Like if it's green, good to go. You know, cause I don't know, I don't know what it's supposed to do. I don't, I would be a terrible judge at telling you if, if it's even doing a good job at it's what it's supposed to do. So don't put me in quality control. And here's why, because the reality is, is that it's nearly impossible to know whether something is good or whether something is bad if you don't know why that thing exists in the first place. Right, like whether it's farm equipment or, or your watch or like exercise equipment, like it's impossible for you to know whether it's doing a good job at what it's doing if you don't actually know why it exists. If you don't know what it is, what it's meant to do, you'll be confused when it does things that you didn't expect or you'll be disappointed when it doesn't do things that you did expect. And what we've seen throughout the book of John up to this point is that time and time and time again, people continue to misunderstand who Jesus is, what he's doing, and why he's doing it. See, Jesus continues to talk on one level, and people continue to understand him on a, diff on a totally different level. Like, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. How am I how am I supposed to get back into my mother's womb? Drink from me, I'm the fountain of living water. Jesus, you don't even have a bucket. Eat from me, I'm the bread of life. Wait, how, Jesus, how are we supposed to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Like Jesus is constantly talking up here and people are constantly understanding him down here. Now, don't forget, the reason that the book of John exists, the reason why John, the author, wrote the book of John is, is in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, the reason why all these things are said is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so the question that we want to answer as we, as we step into chapter 7 is, what is John trying to show us about the nature of genuine belief. What is John trying to show us about the nature of true belief? And what John's going to do is he's going to show us what true belief is by showing us what true belief isn't. Sometimes that's more helpful in understanding something is if you see actually what it isn't. And so what we're gonna see in these first few verses of John, of John chapter seven are three truths about true belief. And those truths are that true belief trusts in something, true belief desires something, and true belief pursues something. True belief trusts in something, desires something, and pursues something. And so first, what does true faith, what does true belief trust? Now, notice that chapter seven is after chapter six. I'm not an engineer, but I can get that, okay? 
Chapter 7 is after chapter 6. And as we, as we step into chapter 7, the festival of shelters is about to begin. Maybe in your translation it says the festival of booze or the feasts of tabernacles, whatever it is, the festival of shelters. And John continues to anchor his accounts of, of these different events in the various Jewish festivals of, of that time. And in this case, this is happening before the festival of shelters. Now, the festival of shelters was a particular feast, a particular celebration where Jews from all over the known world would come to Jerusalem. And what they would do is they would make for themselves these makeshift tents out of sticks and branches and leaves. And even if you lived in Jerusalem, you would, you would make your own little tent and you'd you know, put it on top of your house or in the street or wherever. And for a whole week, the Jewish people would live in these makeshift tents because this festival in particular was helping them celebrate and remember God's provision over his people as they wandered in the wilderness after being rescued from Egypt. And so Jews from all over the place were coming to Jerusalem. Like it was the place to be. Who's who was going to be here? If, if you wanted to be a, a, a well-known person in the Jewish world, you wanted to be in Jerusalem during the Feast of Shelters. It's kind of like if you want to be a country music star, go to Nashville. If you want to be like a blues legend, go to Chicago. If you want to be a jazz cat, right? Go to New Orleans. And if you want to be a New York Times best-selling rabbi, go to Jerusalem, especially during festival time. Now, don't forget, like I said, seven comes after six. At the end of chapter six, what we've seen is that Jesus has just lost a ton of followers. After that whole like eat my flesh and drink my blood thing, that was a little too much for people to handle. And so he has lost a bunch of followers at the end of chapter six. And as we roll into chapter seven, here come Jesus' brothers. Yeah, Jesus had brothers. Mary didn't stay a virgin. Like he had brothers. He had brothers and sisters actually, Matthew chapter 13. Like here come Jesus' brothers in verse three of chapter seven. And, he's, and, the, and his brothers are kind of acting like his PR team here. Look at what they say. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus, don't you want to salvage your failing career? Didn't you notice you've just lost half of your followers on Twitter? Jesus, go to Jerusalem, do your magic tricks, take your talents down to Jerusalem South Beach. Show the world who you are. They're going to love it. Your approval numbers will go through the roof. Now, all of this might sound like good advice, okay? And we can kind of understand where they're coming from, where it's like, okay, you've just lost a bunch of followers. So now here's this festival where there's a bunch of people. Like, why don't you go do your thing? Do the thing that got you the followers that you lost in the first place, right? All of this might sound okay until you see the heart behind their advice. Look at verse five. For not even his brothers believed in him. They just gave him all this advice. Go to Jerusalem, do these things. Why did they give him that advice? 
for because even they didn't believe in him. What they were suggesting isn't because they believed who he was. They weren't seeing Jesus through the eyes of faith. No, what they wanted was they wanted a rabbi of their own making. They wanted a wonder-working prophet to wow the crowds, to build his brand, to expand his platform, not because they believed he was who he said he was, but because that's what they would do if they were him. Jesus, clearly what you're doing isn't working, right? Like clearly what you're doing, when you're doing it, isn't working. Can you kind of like, just let us step in here and let's like, let us give you a little advice. Here's what we would do if we were you. To which Jesus replies in verse six, Jesus told them, a time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. The unbelief of Jesus' brothers shines through in that they didn't trust in Jesus' timing. It was a matter of timing because true belief trusts God's timing. We said true belief trusts something. What was the unbelief of the brothers displaying here? It was displaying a lack of trust in God's timing. It was all about timing. Now this, is, now this explains the apparent contradiction between verse eight and verse 10. You probably noticed that as Jen was reading it or as you're reading through it yourself, you're like, wait, Jesus said he's not going to the festival. And then two verses later, he goes to the festival. Like, which one is it? Are you going or are you not going? Like, did Jesus just lie to get his brothers off his back? Now, it's important that we read the rest of the verses here. So verse 8, I'm not going to this festival. Why? Because my time has not yet fully come. And then go into verse 10 says, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. See, John is very careful to tell us the way, the, the time when Jesus goes and the way in which Jesus goes. See, what Jesus was saying to his brothers wasn't, I'm not going to the festival just in general. What he was saying is, I'm not going in your time, in your ways, according to your purposes. See, I'm not going now, but I'm going later. My time hasn't come yet, but when the time does come, I will go. I'm not going openly in the way that you want. You want me to go up and perform miracles. Like the circus is coming in town, you know? Like, I'm not going openly, I'm going secretly. I'm not going to do miracles, but I'm going to teach. I'm not going in your time. I'm not going in your ways. I'm not going for your purposes. See, true belief trusts God's timing. One of my kids, a couple days ago, as we're trying to figure out Thanksgiving plans and, you know, and you try to think of Christmas, that's crazy, that's coming up. Like with COVID and all this stuff, it makes things kind of complicated and all that. And one of my kids was like, dad, if God is so powerful, 
why doesn't he just make COVID go away right now? It's a question you've probably been thinking, maybe haven't had the guts to ask. From the mouth of a child, they're saying the thing we're all thinking. If God is so powerful, why won't COVID, why doesn't he make COVID go away right now? That's a great question. It's a fair question. See, I I think there's a lot of people that scoff at the idea of God because they say, how can there be a God when there is so much meaningless suffering in the world? How, how, How can there be a God? There's all this meaningless suffering. If this God is so powerful, why all this meaningless suffering? Here's the problem with that. How do you know it's meaningless? How do you know? How do you know that what's happening in the world or what's happening to you has absolutely no meaning? Like if you could say definitively without a shadow of a doubt, with the full view of time and space, past, present, and future, like if you could definitively look at a situation and say that absolutely has no meaning, would that not then make you God? You see, just because you don't understand why God is doing what he's doing, just because you don't understand when God does what he does, doesn't mean that God isn't doing something. Does it seem like Jesus isn't doing what he's supposed to do in your life? Trust God's timing. When the tumor won't shrink, when the pain won't stop, when the sickness won't go away, when the callback for that job that you've needed so desperately, just the phone just won't ring, when your life isn't going the way you thought it was supposed to go, like college isn't going the way I thought it was gonna go. Trust God's timing. When the fog won't lift and it seems like the dawn will never break through the dark night of your depression, and you ask and you ask, God, why? Why, why? why am I depressed like this? Why can't I feel anything? Like, why? Why won't you just take it away? Trust his timing. You see, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And his timing is not our timing. You see, Jesus is never wrong. And Jesus is never late. And unlike his unbelieving brothers, true belief trusts God's timing. Second thing, true belief desires God's will. So Jesus shows up halfway through the festival. He doesn't go in the timing of his brothers. He goes in the timing of his father and he shows up halfway through the festival and he goes immediately to the temple and begins to teach. He doesn't go to the, you know, to the, the courtyard and begin to do miracles. He goes to the temple and begins to teach. And when he begins to teach, this amazes the Jews, verse 15. The, then the Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? This guy hasn't gone to seminary. How does he know what he's saying? And why can he say it? See, rabbis 
it was common for rabbis of that time to cite their sources. Now, this wasn't just so that, so that they wouldn't get kicked out of school for plagiarism, okay? Like, that, that's kind of a thing. It's more so to bring validity and authority to what they were saying. Like, it wasn't uncommon for rabbis of the day to base much of what they were saying on precedent. Like, like historical teaching, the traditions that have been passed down, like as they, as they teach, they cite their sources and it was a way of giving validity, bringing authority, letting people know these aren't just a bunch of ideas off the top of my head. Like this is actually a well-established tradition. And Jesus kind of does the same thing, but he does it in a bit of a different way. Instead of citing human authorities and human tradition as a way of bolstering his validity and authority, Jesus cites God himself. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. My teaching isn't mine. My teaching is from God himself. See, as God, Jesus taught with the authority of God because he was sent by God. But even with all that being true, they still didn't understand what he was saying. They still wouldn't get it. They still misunderstood him. They still couldn't grasp the truths that he was saying. You'd think any message that could be understandable would be a message from God by God, right? But they still were confused. Why? Why could they not understand what he was saying? Why could they not see that Jesus' teaching was from God? Why couldn't they get it? Look at verse 17. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. What is Jesus saying here? Don't miss this. Jesus is saying that if you want to know God's truth, you have to desire to do God's will. Like the prerequisite to being able to know and understand the truth of God, the prerequisite to that is a heart posture that desires to do God's will. Like knowing isn't first a matter of the mind, it's a matter of the will. See, we think that in order for us to know the truth, we just have to have the right information. Like, so long as I have the right information, Cody hit on this a, a few weeks ago, citing McDonald's, which makes sense. Like, if we just have the right information, then we will know the truth. But what Jesus is talking about here isn't analyzing information. What Jesus is talking about here is a submission to authority. In other words... If you truly want to know Jesus, if you truly want to understand what he says, if you want to know the will of God, you first have to desire to submit to his will even before you understand what it is. It's like, it's like when you've been here probably, when a little kid comes up to you and they just put their arms up to you. And what are they saying? Like by re just reaching up, what are they saying? They're saying, I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do. I just wanna be with you. That's what they're saying. What they don't do is, is come up to your feet, keep their arms on their side, and so, okay, so now, before you pick me up, what are we gonna do exactly? Where are we gonna go? No, because they don't care. They, they, have, they have a childlike dependence on you. 
They just put their arms up. I don't care where we go. I don't care what we do. I just, I just want to be with, I desire to be with you and then let everything after that happen. You see, there is no category where we approach God with a proud heart, with no desire to submit to his authority. And we, when there's no category where we approach him in that way and can still understand his will and his ways. There's no category where we set ourselves up as judges of God's timing, will, and ways and, and somehow expect to think that he will allow us to understand his truth. True belief desires God's will. Desires to do God's will. With all this, with all this talk, like, like there, there are books that have been written, there are conversations. If I had $5 for every conversation I have with a college student about discerning the will of God for their life, I, I'd make a lot more money, right? And it's not, it's not that it's a bad question. Like it's a good like inclination. Like I wanna do the will of God. Like, like what is God's will? And I'd say like, before you work so hard on like trying to determine what the will is, do you want to do it when you find it out? Will you do it? you have the heart posture that whatever his will is, you'll do it. Do you desire to do God's will? Or does your desire to do God's will have an asterisk next to it? Like, I'll decide if I want to submit to God once he tells me what he wants me to submit to. That's not how it works. Knowing the truth is a matter of the will before it's a matter of the mind. And if you want to know Jesus, there must be a desire to submit to him. True belief, trust God's timing. True belief desires God's will. And if you wanna know what God's will is, spoiler alert, it's really not that complicated. Like God's will is that his glory would be displayed in you and through you to the ends of the earth, whatever you do. Whoever you marry, wherever you live, whatever job you take, whatever major you choose, like whatever it is that you do, his will is that he would be glorified in the eyes of others as you do that thing. So what is the will of God? That his glory is put on display to the ends of the earth. True belief pursues God's glory. Look at verse 18. Where do I get that? Here's Jesus again. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. See, Jesus lived for the radical, for the bold display of God's glory. That was his purpose. Like as he came into the world, he was purposed to display the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And from here, all like from, nine, from verses 19 all the way through 24, basically what Jesus does from this point on is he exposes the unbelief of the people by showing that they don't even live according to the very law that they hate him for supposedly breaking. 
Like they, even they don't live, they want to kill him because he violates their traditions and he, and he supposedly breaks their laws, but even they don't live according to it. One, because they want to kill him, which pretty sure that goes against the law of Moses. Do not murder, heard of that. Like clearly you don't care that much about the law, right? You know, but two, Jesus is healing. And this gets a little complicated. We don't have time to get into it, but Jesus is healing of the lame man at the pool several weeks ago. When he did that on the Sabbath, that wasn't outside the category of, of the order of priority that they themselves practiced when it came to circumcision and the Sabbath. Like they had a category where you could do things on the Sabbath. There was an order of priority and they pretended like that didn't exist to justify their desire to kill him. But even if you don't understand that, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is pulling back the curtain on their unbelief by showing that their whole concern about who kept the law, who broke the law, who did this, who did that, their whole concern about that wasn't based on their desire for God's glory. It was based on their desire for self-exaltation. While Jesus was wholly devoted to displaying God's glory in everything he said and did, they followed God's law they obeyed God's commands only so far as it made them look good. Only so far as it elevated them in the eyes of others. See, the very law that, they, that had been given to them as a mirror to show them their need for God's provision, they had turned following that law into a spotlight to put a spotlight on the greatness of their performance. Which means, don't miss this, which means that it is entirely possible to obey God's commands, not to display his glory, but to display your goodness. Not to display his ability to provide for you, but to display your ability to perform for him. Oh, would we as Christians jump off of this outrage culture bandwagon and care more about God exaltation than we cared about virtue signaling? Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why do you post what you post? Why do you want what you want? Is it so that you would be exalted in the eyes of people? Or is it so that God would be exalted in and through your life? See, unbelief leads to self-exaltation, but true belief leads to God glorification. And don't miss this, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, did not come in the flesh to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, true belief trusts God's timing and Jesus would continue to trust God's timing because one day he would return to Jerusalem not to be exalted on an earthly throne, but to be lifted up on a Roman cross. True belief desires God's will. Jesus Christ would continue to desire God's will as he would pray that agonizing prayer in the garden before his death. Father, not my will, but your will be done. 
See, Jesus Christ would continue to pursue God's glory as he hung on the cross, receiving the judgment of God, the Father's holy wrath towards sin poured out on him so that his grace could be poured out on those who believe. So that blood-bought sinners like you and me could then turn around and proclaim and display the excellencies and glory of God to the ends of the earth. Don't you see that yes, true faith trusts God's timing, desires God's will, and pursues God's glory. But the only way we can do that is because Jesus Christ has first done that on our behalf and has now given us the power of his Holy Spirit so that as spirit-empowered people, we can leave this place trusting his timing desiring his will, pursuing his glory, because those are the very things he did in securing our salvation for us. What in your life are you waiting for God to do? That you need to trust his timing. What in your life needs to change? What will are you pursuing? Your will, your desires, your status, that you need to desire God's will. Whose glory are you pursuing? Do you echo with John the Baptist saying, he must increase, I must decrease, or does, does kind of the foundation of your decisions based around how will this make other people see me? What I wear, what I do, what I say, where I go. Pursue the glory of God in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that would be our posture. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you help us to live in these ways, to follow the example set to us by Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that can be ours because you did these very things. God, will we not trust in our own timing, our own ability to plan and manipulate? Would we not submit to the authority of our will, but to your will? And would we pursue not our glory, not our exaltation before the eyes of people, but would the pursuit of our life be that your goodness and glory would be displayed to all who would see so that you would receive glory and honor. Do your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.